0: Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. If you didn't bring a Bible along this morning, you can follow our passage there, Psalm 139. And we're reading verses 13 to 16. These words were written by King David, a man who went through a lot of ups and downs in his life. And yet he always looked to the Lord. Here's what he says. For you, and he's talking to God. For you, God, you, Lord, We live in a culture that's all about comparisons and competition. How many of you know what a, what a gap analysis is? You know what a gap analysis is? Right? In the business world, that's where you sit down and you analyze all your business's shortcomings. Try to figure out what are, what are the things that you need to be doing that aren't getting done right now to make your business successful. Sometimes people who want to start a new business do a gap analysis. They go out into the world and they go, where in this industry is a gap that I could fill, a service that I could provide? And sometimes the best gap analyzers when it comes to our own gaps is us, right? It's so easy for us to make comparisons with others and and to see our own gaps and shortcomings and and we do it all the time take a look at the sports page guys do it article this week in the in the sports page about kurt warner kurt warner or eli manning Who, who's got the gaps and who's got the strengths article about coaching styles on a on another day Porter or dan tony Who's got the best coaching style? We're doing it all the time. In fact, John Trent, he talks about it. And he calls it the everybody else looks better in a swimsuit syndrome. I think most of us feel that way, don't we? Now us guys, we don't care, man. Our our guts could be hanging out like wings on a Chevy. We'll put on a swimsuit. It doesn't matter. But girls, oh my goodness, man, start to do a comparison. And oh, it starts already, you see it start in, in middle school, and then it goes up to high school, and then from then on, man, it's, it's finished. The comparisons are always there. In fact, uh, they're so strong, and they're so much a part of our society, that the Dove Company started to wonder what we were doing to our to our young ladies. You heard about that? I want to play a video for you that shows where all this comparing and competing can lead. Not only are we willing to compare ourselves and look for our gaps, but when we don't want to look for it, there are plenty of other people around us who are willing to look for those gaps for us and exploit them. And as that video shows, those people know nothing about you. Your unique personality. Your unique beauty. Your unique experiences in life. And, and they're going to try to, to use things like that to exploit you and me and get us to, to totally feel inadequate. And, and I'll say this too. Some of us are not only the victims of the advertising agency when it comes to this. You know that as a pastor, I get to do a lot of counseling. And sometimes the ones who are most prone to compare us, beyond ourselves of course, are the people closest to us. The people that we expect are going to be the most loyal to us. And yet we find them picking and comparing and pointing out all our shortcomings and comparing us to others. Parents do it. Children do it. Brothers and sisters do it, best friends do it, coworkers do it. We all tend to get into this comparison mode. And a lot of times realize that the the reason people are comparing is because they need that for themselves, don't they? They need something that's going to make them feel better about themselves. So what better than to take your shortcomings and point them out to you by comparison to someone else? So this morning, this question of am I unique, am I someone special and different, really incomparable to anyone else, becomes a very large question, doesn't it? You see, because the question of our uniqueness also is the question of our specialness. If I'm one of a kind, if God built me just the way he wants me to, if, if he gave me my experiences, if he gave me my personality and my intellect, if he gave me my body and all my talents, and I am truly unique, then the question is, what am I doing comparing myself to anyone else? Because I'm one of a kind, if that's true. So, so what's the answer to the question? What do you think? Are you unique? Are you really different? You know, some people do say the opposite, don't they? You're just one of the crowd. Who are you to think you stand out? Who are you to think that you're so special or you're so different? Well, let's take a look once again at the words of David and see if we can answer this question. Am I unique, so unique that I don't need to be comparing myself to anyone else. Let's go back and dig into Psalm 139. Take a look at what it says here. Verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And then go down to verse 15 and look look at that. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. God says a a couple of pretty interesting things here through David, doesn't he? I want you to notice some of the words that are in that passage. Really look at them. And you know what they're telling you? They're telling you that God carefully crafted you. You are his work of art, both inside and out. Take a look. It says, you created my inmost being. That word literally means the seat of your emotions and your reason, your decision-making and your judgment, your personality, who you are. That comes from God. God created your inmost being. The soul of who you are is something that was carefully constructed by God. And verse 15 adds this thought. He says, my frame was not hidden from you. When he talks about being put together in the hidden place, he's talking about your mother's womb. And he's saying, you know, your mother's, my mother's womb, your mother's womb didn't hide God's eyes when you were being put together are you, a, are you a mesomorph or an endomorph or an ectomorph? You know what those are, don't you? Right. If you're an ectomorph, you're, your body's maybe a little bit bigger. You're, a, you're a, a Tom Arnold or an Oprah Winfrey, okay? If you're a, if you're a mesomorph, you're, you're kind of that, that in-between person, right? You're a, you're a Russell Crowe, maybe, or an Angelina Jolie type of body, Okay? And then an ectomorph is the real angular, thin person, right? God says, when, when he put you together, your frame was not hidden from him. The way you are, the way you're built, the way your body is, was put together specially by God. You know, think about it. I love the verbs that he uses here. He says, you were knit together. You see that? And he says you were woven. Think about the care that goes into that when somebody knits or weaves. Everything is important. Every last little stitch. If you ever watch somebody make a mistake when they do knitting, what do they have to do? Because it's all visible, right? Every knitting stitch, for the most part, is visible. So what do you do if you miss a stitch? Pull it all back out until you get back to that stitch and start over carefully. Contrast that with being a framer. Ever watch those guys work? They're framing up your house, and what do they know? Drywall's going to be slapped over that baby. That's all going to get hidden. They miss a nail, bam, they just pound it over and they knock another one in. They don't care what it looks like or how detailed it is. It's just the frame, and it's all getting covered up. The Bible doesn't say God framed you up. The Bible says God knit you together. You are very unique, both inside and out. You are just exactly the way God wanted you to be. Nothing was hidden from God when you were put together. And why Why is it so important for us to remember this? Take a look at that passage that I put in there. From the book of Isaiah, chapter 44. God designed you perfectly because he wants you to be his servant. Each and every person here is here for a purpose and a reason to serve and honor God with their life. And so, of course, God's going to knit you together. Of course, he's going to be careful about you. Because he wants you to be able to work perfectly for him in his kingdom. Look at what it says. Remember these things, O Jacob. For you are my servant, O Israel. I have made you. You are my servant, O Israel. And I will not forget you. That's an amazing promise. Not only does God put us together in the first place. He doesn't toss us aside after he's done making us. He doesn't put us together like a watch and wind us up and then just say, okay, you're on your own. Just the opposite. He, he winds us up and he says, you know what? I'm going to keep watching you and taking care of you. He knits us together. And then if things start to happen, he goes, I'm not going to forget you I'll, I'll take care of you. And remember this. None of us, none of us was just made once. You know the story, don't you? After we were made, the world fell into sin, didn't it? And sin had this horrible corrosive effect on all of us, on all of our minds and hearts, our inmost beings, and our frames. But what does God do? He pulls us out of the ash heap, and he dusts us off, and he polishes us up. You know what that's all called? We sang it just a moment ago. It's called redeeming something pulling it off the the ash heap and bringing it back and renewing it, really recreating it again. So not only did God create you in the first place very, very carefully, but when you fell into sin because your parents were in sin, he totally cleaned you up by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and he redeemed you and recreated you once again. Look at Isaiah 44 Verse 24, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer. Circle that word, will you? Your Redeemer, the one who pulled you off the ash heap, who formed you in the womb, the one who created you in the first place. He says, I am the Lord who has made all things. And look how powerful I am. Tap into this powerful God. I am the one who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by itself. So first of all, here's, here's the first answer. To this question, am I unique? Absolutely, you are unique because God has carefully crafted you. He's knit you together in your mother's womb. Inside and outside, you are His. I think a lot of us worry, though, even though we may understand that. We have a creator. We worry about those shortcomings that I talked about earlier. And again, as I also pointed out, when we're not worrying about them, somebody else will so easily worry about them for us. And there's a desire that all of us have when we start to do a gap analysis. It's a desire to grow and learn. And I want to I make a distinction between comparing that is destructive. John Trent uh, talks about it. in in his book, Heart Shift. It's a great book. I recommend you pick it up. It's, It's one that every one of us should read. It's called Heart Shift, and it's by the author John Trent. He says that each time that we compare ourselves to someone else, we're literally drilling a hole into ourselves. We're not just analyzing the gaps when we compare ourselves to someone else. We're creating new gaps. And John Trent says... Most of us are not going to be motivated to change through comparison. In fact, it's one of the nine reasons Trent lists why people don't change. They compare themselves too much, he says. And he says most of us are going to find ourselves demotivated. Guys, you look at the cover of GQ, you're going to go and go, man, I got to get that gym thing going again no most of us go time to get get the chips out and the beer and go sit on the couch and watch another football game man let the gq guy be the gq guy he can cover that role right it's not going to motivate us girls you see an ad like that one up there most of us going to put aside the ice cream moment and the chocolate moment nah i mean come on be real most of us are going to go home and have an extra scoop of ice cream right because comparing ourselves to someone else, and we can do that in so many different areas, never motivates us to change. So here's the question then. If we have this innate desire to learn and grow, what's the way to be able to do that? Well, here's the thing. Change never comes off a foundation of uncertainty. Change never comes off of a foundation of Insecurity. Think about it. Most of us, when we feel insecure, what do we do? Instead of wanting to change and explore new ways, we dig our heels in. No, man, we get more conservative when we feel insecure. We tend to not explore and try new things then. And so the the most important thing, if we want to change and learn and grow, is to find a place of security and certainty and assurance. And who do those words make you think of? Security? Certainty? Assurance? Well, I'll tell you, King David, I'll tell you where he looked when he needed security and certainty and assurance. Take a look back at Psalm 139 and see what he says. I praise you, he says in verse 14, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful. And then look at that phrase. You see the security and the certainty and the assurance there? What does he say? I know this, he says. And I don't just know it. I know it full well. I know it very much. I have certainty when I look at you, God. When I look outside of myself and I look up to you, I get that assurance that I can, I can make the changes that I need to, to make in my life. Do you realize just how awesome and amazing God has made you? I mean, it's, it's something when you start to look at the facts. Do you know, for example, that your heart beats 100,000 times every day? And that one red blood cell will circumnavigate your entire body in just 20 seconds? Did you know that your eye can distinguish and differentiate up to 1 million, that's million different color surfaces. See what, what David is saying here when he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And not just physically, emotionally and by personality too. How many of you Raise your hand if you've ever done one of those personality tests. Anybody ever done a personality test? Okay, most of you have. How many different personality types are there in this world, right? I mean, if you're a teacher, you have learned that there are probably a dozen different types of inventories for children, right? And in the business world, they're using these more and more. you, You can talk... About the Kiersey Temperament Sorter, Gardner's Multiple Intelligence, Kolb's Learning Styles—holy cow! The amazing intricacy, not only of the human body but of the human personality. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's incredible. You are beyond unique. And and that's why it's so important when we come back to this idea of comparison, that we begin to feel content with who God has made us. You see, because comparison really is only going to lead to two places, isn't it? It's kind of like a pendulum, right? And if I compare myself or someone else comes in and compares me to people that make me feel better about myself because I consider myself better than them and uh, they can't do things as well as I can, then the pendulum swings over here, right? Okay, and I'm feeling pretty good. But you know where that all ends? Eventually, a little place called pride, right? Right? And then the pendulum swings back the other way, and I compare myself, right? I'm over here, and I'm not as good as somebody else. And where does that land you? Depression, despair, why can't I have what that person has? How come I can't be as good as they are? God, did you make a mistake with me? Have you forgotten me? Now, I want you to notice something about a pendulum swing. When the pendulum swings over here and you're hanging on to it, where are your feet? They're up in the air, aren't they? You're dangling. And when you're over here and you got pride going on, right? And the pendulum is over here, where are your feet? Not on the ground. Dangling up in the air, right? You want to be Grounded? It's not found in pride. It's not found in despair. It's found right here being grounded in God. You want to be sure of yourself. You want to be firmly planted. It's in that middle ground. Understanding that God hasn't given me all the abilities that everybody else has that I want. And that's okay. That forces us to work together with others. And also... It's okay that he has given me some pretty cool things. And I can appreciate them and thank God for them and go, You go, God. I really appreciate how you've made me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's an awesome thing to be able to do things like that. You know, John, you know, the Apostle Paul had to deal with this kind of thing. There were people in his ministry... That at times would try to get that pendulum swinging for him. Get his feet off the ground. Get him shaking and dangling. There were people that would come along and say, Paul, you're not much of an apostle. <laughs> you call yourself a, a teacher? Come on, dude. You're a babbler, not a teacher. You Can't do it, man. And then, And then at other times... There were people who treated Paul literally as if he were a god. People were saying, this man, this man is Hermes. He's a messenger from the gods. And and there were people that took his his handkerchiefs and and, and took them out and used them to heal other people. And they said, oh, I can't imagine anyone would ever be better than Paul. And I want you to see what... What Paul writes to the Galatians. Look what he writes. Galatians 6 verses 3 and 4. I put it in your crosswalk notes. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now look what he says here. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself. And then will you underline these next words? Without comparing himself. To somebody else. My particular set of gifts and talents. My personality. My body. Are carefully constructed by God. For me to serve him according to his purpose. It's not a random thing. And God has fearfully and wonderfully built me just the way he wants me. And that's true of you too. That is exceptionally true of you too. He's built you to serve him just the way he wants you to serve him. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So point two is let's be confident. Let's get in that middle ground. Let's not be dangling in uncertainty. Let's not be dangling in pride. Let's get our feet on the ground and go, God, you have fashioned me fearfully and wonderfully to serve you the way you want me to serve you. (laughs) David is an amazing guy. He's the one writing these words, right? And while he's writing these words, he's the king of Israel. Now, Not just the king of Israel at any time. David was a man whose heart pleased God tremendously. And God began to expand this little tiny kingdom that had really gotten started only one king earlier under King Saul. And so David is a man who gets to enjoy the pleasure of a lot of success. And yet he's a man that is amazingly humble. And yielding. There's, a, there's a, a tremendous story in the Bible that talks about David's willingness to be humble and to yield. His own son, Absalom. In the middle of David's greatest power, his own son Absalom begins to go out among the people and and, and sort of start to curry their affections. And get them to, to love him and, and care for him. And, and David loves his son Absalom. Beyond all measure, they, they, they've gotten into a dispute before. But David says, I, I've got to have a relationship with my son Absalom. Meanwhile, Absalom is this, is this young guy who wants the power. And eventually gathers some people to him. And they march on Jerusalem. Do you know what David does? Does something pretty amazing. He packs up the people who are still loyal to him. And he yields that position to his son Absalom. And, And he walks out of the city. Do you know how many times great men and women of God do this in the Bible? That as powerful, as wealthy, as successful as they are, they have a yielding personality. You take, take Abraham. Remember him and his nephew Lot? Remember that story about how they both wanted that piece of land called the promised land? And what did Abraham do? Abraham said, let's let's make an agreement, Lot. We both want the same place. You pick first. And of course, Lot, Lot, being the guy that he is, he picks the most well-watered, beautiful, garden-like place and says, I want that. Abraham says, that's cool, man. I'll take what's left over. And who does God bless? Think about um, Isaac. Isaac kept getting into this dispute with his neighbors and they were ticked off at him over the wells that they needed. And and they were so ticked off that they went out into the desert and they began to fill in those wells. And each time they filled in those wells, did Isaac fight back? Did he go in there and kick butt? Did he defend his rights? No, he said, you know what? Someone filled in my well. I'll back up and dig a new one. He yielded. Jacob went to find a wife, his mother's brother Laban. Laban kept switching things up all the time, you know. You take these cattle and sheep, and and I'll take these. And 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 when the striped cattle and sheep would start to get successful, Laban would say, no, 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 let's switch it up. I'll take the striped ones. Kept jerking them around. You ever had that happen to you? What did Jacob do each and every time? He yielded. He said, okay, Laban, you take the ones you want. I'll take what's left over. Is that not amazing? You got David, you got Abraham, you got Isaac, you got Jacob. And why can they yield in those times? Because they're confident. Because their feet are on the ground. Because they know this God who made them. And because they know... That they are purposely placed in that present time for God's purpose. And that's, that's something that we all have to believe. Look at what David writes here. Look at how he talks about, Lord, I know that I'm here purposefully present as king. Okay? All the days, verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God, you knew what was going to happen in my life. And in fact, David applies that very truth when he goes out of the city. Listen to what he says. You see, the high priest comes out with him, and he says, let's take the Ark of the Covenant with us. That way the presence of God will be with us. Your son Absalom, he might march into the city, but he won't have the Ark of the Covenant. He won't have God's presence. You know what David says? No, man. Go back. Take the Ark of the Covenant with you. I know where God is present. And he sends the high priest, Zadok, back with the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence. And listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Take the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back. And let me see it. And he will let me see his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. That's what we have to think. That's how we yield. Let God do to me whatever seems good to him. I am present here. Only for his purpose. And I have to trust that his purpose is good. I am purposefully present. So how could you apply something like that in your life? How could you apply that I am purposefully present paradigm to what you're doing? Do you have someone that's struggling with you for a possession like Abraham and Lot? What would happen if you yielded? Do you have someone filling up your wells? What would happen if you just stepped back and said, you know what? Let them have the, the, the doggone well. I'll, I'll go dig another one. Do you, um, do you have someone who's jerking you around the way Laban was jerking Jacob around? What if you just yielded and said, you know what? Do what you need to do, buddy. And I'll just take what's left over. Now, that's not very American. And it might not sound very tough. But it's amazing how when you look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David, God blessed every one of them. Through their yielding. When they just realize the only reason I'm present here is for God's purpose and no other. So that's our third point. Not only, not only am I carefully crafted, not only am I fearfully fashioned, but here's the last thing that makes me unique. I am by God's purpose Purposefully present here on planet earth. And here's what I can say. Look at Psalm 31 verses 14 and 15. The same as David. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. And with that thought, with that trust, with that confidence. I can yield to the will of God. So there you are. You're carefully crafted. You are so unique, so wonderful. And your talents and abilities, your personality, why, you are fearfully fashioned just the way God wanted you to serve him in his kingdom. And finally, don't forget, you have a purpose. You're purposefully present right here, right now, for God's purpose. And this is why all of us can say, I am by God's grace. One of a kind. Take a look at those next steps in the crosswalk. Thank God for who you are and how you are. You're not an accident. Trust that he has carefully fashioned you. Stop comparing yourself to others. You are uniquely you and God can use you just the way you are. And I want to add one thought to that and take you back to one other thing. He can use you just the way you are, not only because he created you, but remember this. Despite your sin, despite your guilt, despite your shame, God sent his son Jesus for you. To redeem you, to take away all your faults. And wherever your gaps are, wherever your shortcomings are, Jesus fills all those in. Rest in him. Rest in his cross. Rest in his grace and forgiveness. Rest in the power of his resurrection. Rest in the good news of the gospel. And you are completely unique. Finally, meditate on and memorize Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We realize in this life whether we compare ourselves to others or others compare us to somebody else or, or, or whatever creates this gap analysis that we're constantly doing to ourselves, Lord, we realize that we're not perfect. We do sin, especially in our spirits, we are not perfect. We fall far short in our thoughts and our words and actions. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness and the love that fills in all those gaps and make us complete in him. Lord God, reassure each of us that you carefully crafted us, that that you built us exactly the way that you wanted for your purpose, and that we are here for that purpose. Help us to be confident and keep our feet on the ground, Not, not filled with pride, not filled, on the other hand, with despair either, but right there in the middle, following you and serving you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.